Hey lovelies, before we get started, I just want to take a minute to talk about how things are going to be changing here over the three weeks. And the short answer is they're not. Um, I know that a lot of stores do different summer hours or things like that, and I just wanted to talk about it. So uh, the two main areas are in shipping and shipping schedules and in sales. So number one, if you do choose to shop during the three weeks, I will be operating and shipping as usual. I don't take the summer off, so you can expect your orders to ship same or next day, depending on when you place the order. The cutoff is generally around 4 p.m. Eastern, so if you get your order in before then, it'll ship out that day, and if it's after that time, then it'll go out the next business day. Secondly, sales. I will not be running any sales during the three weeks. Um, that just doesn't feel right. Um, the only discount, I think that there's a lovely perk that's scheduled to go out during the three weeks. Um, depending on when exactly in the three weeks it works out, I might push it to afterwards. I have to take a closer look at my calendar. Um, in general, if you are looking for deals, just always if you like to shop deals um, or if you only shop deals during this time, there is a clearance section on the site that has fantastic discounts that are always available. Some styles there are up to 70% off. Most are in like the 30 to 50% range um, and they're the same exact clothes. Uh, some of them are from past seasons, but a lot of my designs are really staples. So you can find great, great deals there. And last I checked, there was something available for every size. Um, the only difference between buying from the clearance section and buying from the regular site is that um, it is still returnable just within 10 days instead of the usual 30. And that's pretty much all you need to know. So pretty basically we'll be operating as normal um, during the three weeks. You'll We'll still have podcast episodes coming out and all of that. So I hope you enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. And on today's show, I talk with a motivational speaker and amputee about what it was like to decide to amputate her ankle. She shares the years-long process of making this decision, the grieving of her foot, and why she thinks it's important to educate the general public on what life as an amputee is actually like. remember the exact first time I saw one of Joe Beckwith's videos, but what I do remember is how it struck me. Here was a girl who looked to be around my age, by the way she is, talking plainly and clearly about her life as an amputee. The more I watched and learned, the more I knew I really wanted to talk to Joe about what happened to get her here. I was I was a very good kid. Um, I was I was great. Uh, I did all my schoolwork. I was a nice friend. I was very kind of reserved and it wasn't until I hit maybe 12 or 13 that kind of turned into the classic rebellious teenager and um, uh, morphed into who I am today. But I was, I was a good kid. I had fun. I was a horse girl too. I, I, I know that you were a big horse girl. Were you riding? When did you start riding? Uh, probably when I was about 11 or 12, I started riding. I know nothing about riding. Is that a, like an early time to start? Is that a like you know is, is that an average time well, I think a lot of people start younger um you know if you start you know you see kids who start sports when they're like five or six and they're they've mastered it by the time that they're early teenagers but that definitely wasn't me I also was not an athletic child um so getting into horseback riding was a really good thing for me to kind of start to learn to move and start to learn what I liked is horseback riding athletic? Like I said, I'm a complete novice mm -hmm. when it comes to this. I'm a, I'm from New York City. I'm a city yeah, girl. Awesome. I know nice. how to ride. The, I know how to ride the subway. I don't know how to yes. ride the horse. 
I don't know how to ride the subway, so we have a lot to learn from each other. <laughs> there you go. Is is horseback riding? I know that it's kind of a sport in some places, mm-hmm. but to me, it seems like you're just sitting on a horse. How is that athletic? Right. It does. It does seem like that from looking at. It. There's actually a lot of movement. There's a lot of core work and leg work, um, and a lot, a lot, a lot of balance to be able to ride a horse properly, so that you're working well with it and you're working kind of with its stride and not hurting it or hurting yourself. So there's there's actually a lot of movement. Um, when people look effortless, that's when it's the most work. <laughs> so true by the way (laughs) lesson for life everybody so so true seriously so um where are you where are you from by the way Colorado Springs okay so that's where you live now also right yes yeah absolutely local see I stayed local also I'm a big nice kind of state local (laughs) so um I know that when you were 12 there was an incident involving a horse and I just want to turn the floor over to you and take it away Absolutely. So it was actually right after I turned 13, I had a bad uh, horseback riding accident. I took the horses out on a trail ride, um, which was super exciting for me at the time because it's something I dreamed of my whole little life. And uh, the horse I was on was an ex-thoroughbred racehorse. And they like going fast. And uh, I honestly didn't know that much about riding at that point. And so she took off and uh, ended up tripping. She was fine, um, but she was going pretty fast. And I, I kind of got launched off of her and shattered my ankle. And that led to Uh, many years of ankle surgeries and procedures and trying to get things better, trying to get things right. And that went on honestly for 14 years of just my ankle kind of slowly getting worse over time until at uh, age 27, I had to make the decision to have a leg amputation so I could still do things I like to like, you know, walk and uh, not exist on an insane amount of medication and um, have a hope of like being able to do things like sports again. Right. So this is the thing that I don't want to say that it blows my mind. I mean, it does, but um, you, you, when you talk about your amputation, you talk about how your amputation made life more available to you. Um, yeah. 13, when you had this accident, what were those interim 14 years? Like you're, you, I mean, there's, you have a great YouTube video where you explain <laughs> what actually happened and you describe the break and it was a nasty one. It was. It was not a good one. It, it, it was a one where doctors were like, hmm, we've never seen this before. Oh, Come other good. doctor, take a look at this cool x-ray. Oh. You never want to be the cool x-ray. No, no. Oh God, that's awful. So when you, you know, so, so you, you have the cool x-ray, which is yeah. a good thing. And, um, and what, what were those interim 14 years like? Yeah, so I was always pretty insistent on still doing things anyways. So I was pretty active. I did a lot of things during those 14 years. But the the issue, and I think what a lot of people around me probably didn't know at the times that came at great cost. Um, so I, I did uh, different sports. I couldn't run, I couldn't jump or do stuff like that anymore. But um, I was very involved with like lifting for a while and then CrossFit. And then I got really into mixed martial arts fighting and jujitsu and, and things like that, which I eventually had to stop um, the MMA in particular because my my, my ankle was just trash. Um, so I, I kept doing things and it would always get to the point where my ankle would hurt enough where I have to be like, okay, I need to go back in for another surgery, another procedure. Let's see if we can get this right. Okay, let's try again, try to kind of go back to normal life and doing things. So I went, you know, I, I finished high school. I, I went to college. I had switched colleges. I moved around a little bit, came back to Colorado, um, all the while, you know, finding doctors and having more things done to it. Um, so there weren't a bad 14 years by any means, but it was something where it was always supposed to work. It was always supposed to get better, but it just never did. Um, and then eventually continued deteriorating to the point where I was like, this just doesn't make sense anymore. 
So yeah, when you got to that point of, you know, this just doesn't make sense anymore, you essentially made the decision to amputate earlier than you had to. Um, yeah. You could have, you could have kept doing that, um, you know, for a while and keep doing these different surgeries. And um, you speak a lot about an ankle replacement that you could have done, which I did yeah. not even know was a thing. Yeah. Um, like you've heard about hip and shoulder, but I had never heard of, I guess it's a joint, I guess it could be replaced, but right? again, <laughs> like, it, I guess it makes sense, but I'd never heard of that. Um, and you made the decision to, uh, to amputate at, at age 27. What was yeah. that decision like to do that kind of essentially <laughs> earlier than you had to? Yeah, I think it's a decision that when I look back on it now, I'm still like, well, damn, that was hard. That was really hard to do. Um, you know, one prepares you how to make choices like that. Uh, I think it, it's a different kind of hard than waking up uh, from some kind of traumatic accident and, you know, missing a limb, right? A very, very different experience. But having to make the choice to walk into a building, uh, walk into a surgical room and walk out um, without a limb is bizarre. And it's something that's really difficult to wrap your mind around and consider all the possibilities, right? Because um, I was all about doing as much research as I could and looking into things and listening to people and hearing stories. But the reality is you're never going to be able to even know all the right questions to ask, right? You're not, right. you're not gonna know how you're gonna respond to something. Some people might have a fantastic outcome and it might crush you. Um, kind of, there's just, there's just so many variables to take into consideration. So I tried to look at as many of those as I could, um, but for me, it, it really came down to, there were some other options left on the table. Uh, basically I had three courses of action. I could do nothing and continue limping around and being on a lot of pain medications and watching everything I really liked doing just disappear. Right, so I could exist as a person with two legs but not enjoy my existence that much. Um, I could have had an ankle replacement, but um, as you said, you haven't heard of them. It's because they are not common because they are not good. Uh, the, some people have good outcomes, but it's generally people over 65 who don't live active lives. And it wouldn't, I could have gone for that surgery, but it would have been learning to walk again. It's a pretty big deal surgery and the outcome is not good in many cases. So that might've bought me 18 months to at very most five years, but my ankle was also so messed up that all the um, cartilage and surrounding muscles and joints were messed up too. So I, it wouldn't have actually helped me get back to doing things I liked doing. My I would have had to be less active for the sake of the replacement. Or, so I could do nothing, I could have my ankle replaced, or I could opt to have an amputation. And a big factor for me was the fact that um, I could do it. I, I could wait until I had no, I could wait until I had no choice left. I could wait until we had to do this um, because I literally couldn't move or I got an infection or something was really bad and I had no choice left. I'd be forced into it. And I don't like that. Um, I've been in situations like that before and they just aren't my favorite. I'd rather have some say and control over my life. And also doing it when I was younger rather than older. Um, it was, it was a guarantee that amputation was going to happen at some point in my life if I lived past like 35. But um, I would much rather recover from something massive and life altering uh, in a 27 year old body than in a 35 year old body. And so there were some kind of pragmatic uh, ideas that came into play, but at the end of the day, it really boiled down to living life the way that my body was at that point felt like continuing down a dark hole. Um, it really felt like just sort of walking into just more darkness and things that I didn't want. And when I consider the pos possibility of amputation, it's terrifying. There's so many things you're not gonna know but um, there was hope there and I had some control where I didn't with any other option. And so I decided for that at the end of the day. To, to go for that. Did yeah. you, at, 
how long did it take you to make that decision? Like, I'm assuming this is not something you figure out over a weekend. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> please don't. <laughs> so, right? Please, if you're listening, please don't. Please, yeah. please think about it a little bit longer. Um, I always joked with friends about it for like years, right? I was like, ah, they should just chop it off, right? Mm-hmm. Give me a, give me a bionic ankle. Um, but it, it was only half a joke, right? Because I, I always knew that amputation was where my life was going to lead. That was made very clear to me, but it was supposed to be, you know, 20, 30, 40 years in the future. It's just that everything kind of sped up because my body, uh, my ankle just didn't want to be an ankle anymore. Um, So I would say I really started considering uh, kind of in the back of my mind in January of 2018. And then by that summer, I started talking to surgeons and therapists and counselors and my family and friends. And by October is when I actually scheduled and had the surgery. So it was about 10 months. During that time, did you of really thinking about it? Yeah. 10, 10 months of, you know, let's see what this really means. Yes, exactly. During that time, did you get depressed or like (laughs) get get into a like, why me kind of, kind of place? Like what, what, I can't imagine what the year long process of figuring out, do I want to keep my ankle is like, (laughs) yeah. So I would say realistically, I started thinking about it, not just sort of like in the back of my head, like, hmm, I wonder, um, probably in like July. Uh, that's when I was like, I, I'm, I think this might actually be an option that's worth considering. Um, doctors were on board. Um, okay, so let me see what this actually looks like. So it was more like July to October, which in the grand scheme of things is a much shorter period of time, especially to be like going to doctor's appointments and getting scans and things like that. I don't think, I, I never fell into the like, why me until after the fact. Um, I kind of went into survival mode and like, let's make a decision mode and let's figure this out, which is a great way to get through something hard, right? To let your mind be occupied right. by what can I do uh, rather than the the feelings and the emotions. And they kind of came after the fact for me. So I would say it was probably within the, the first year, year and a half after having an amputation that I really started feeling a lot of the grief for, um, you know, for everything that happened since I was 13, for so many years of my life being defined by surgeries and for my life looking very different than I would have liked it to. And I think that that was really important for me to do, to like acknowledge and grieve and feel. Um, and I did have moments of like, wow, this actually kind of really sucks. Um, why did this all have to happen? And uh, I was always kind of taught that that's like a question you should never ask, right? But in my opinion, I actually think it's very human to be like, why me? This sucks, you know, like, and, and feel that and then work through it and then move on. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it, suppressing those feelings can only, that, that can only lead to, to worse things, I guess. Exactly. What was surgery day like? Oh, yes. Surgery day. I remember surgery day very clearly, actually, because it was up. Um, I live in Colorado Springs. Denver is about mm, 60 miles away. So my husband and I decided to spend the night in a hotel up there because I had to get there very early in the morning. So we went and had a nice dinner. Um, the day before surgery, I had friends come over and they all wrote goodbye messages and permanent marker on my ankle. Um, and my and my husband and my mom did, too. And, uh, you know, we slept in the hotel, got up in the morning. I remember we went to go get coffee, but I was so annoyed because he could have coffee and I couldn't because before surgery, you can't have like food or anything. And I was like, gosh, darn it. Um, and like we... it's already worse without my ankle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, come on, I can't even have coffee. <laughs> So then we drove to the hospital and it was a very surreal experience because I was very aware of the fact that I was walking into, into a surgery that I, that I realistically wouldn't be walking out of. Um, and on the, on the elevator doors going up to the surgical floor, there was actually a printed um, like full length 
image of an amputee with a running blade. And it was very, uh, it was actually kind of very cool. I was like, oh, okay, this seems like this, this feels like a good sign if I believe in signs. And uh, yeah, then they, I'm, I checked in, got ready for surgery and said bye to my family. And man, that was weird. <laughs> yeah. I... But not bad. It wasn't bad. It was just bizarre. <laughs> right. And then, okay. How long does a surgery like that take actually? So mine was about three hours. That is not as long as it should be. Right. I know. Like what you're going to tell me in three hours, you're going to change my life forever. That's all it takes. Wow. Okay. That doesn't feel right. Wouldn't you expect like eight hours at a minimum? I wanted to take three days. Like, it's like at least three hours. Yeah. Okay. Nuts. So yeah, that's, that's kind of nuts. So you, I presume that they, that you're staying in the hospital afterwards for yes. quite some time. Yeah. So what was waking up like and, and, you know, kind of what, what was the recovery like? So waking up is a story in its own. Um, I, I had this fear when I was heading into all of this, that like I could do all my research, I could examine my thoughts and feelings. I could talk to friends and family members and my therapist and try to figure stuff out. But at the end of the day, how I felt waking up for surgery, knowing my leg was gone was something I could not predict. And what if, what if I, what if I was like, this is the biggest mistake I've ever made and I can't take it back. Um, I was really concerned about that genuinely. Um, but I remember the moment waking up from surgery because the nerve block that they gave me before surgery didn't work. This happens sometimes. Um, and so I, I literally felt everything when I woke up from surgery and it was awful. It was um, definitely the most pain I've ever been in in my life. And when you're in that much pain, especially with someone who is so accustomed to pain medications as I was, um, it's really hard to get it back under control. Uh, so it was a really difficult hour waking up from surgery. They brought my husband in and I'm, I still feel bad that he kind of had to, to see all of that. Um, but even in that, even in being in a lot of pain, I remember a very clear thought in my head is I'm, I'm so glad that it's over. I'm so glad that it's done. And I was really grateful. That's where my head went, that I wasn't like, what have you done? I was like, right. you know what? this is going to suck and it's just going to suck <laughs> and we're going to get through it. <laughs> right. Like there's no, yeah, this is just, there, there's no way that this doesn't suck. Yeah, exactly. So, right. It's going to be so, miserable. All right. <laughs> right. So I'm assuming that, you know, there's a hospital stay and then there's a mm -hmm. longer recovery at home. Um, during that time, were you mobile at all? Were you in a wheelchair? Mm. Were you, how, did, like, how does that, how, how does all of that play out? Yeah. So this is something that's almost odd to me. I don't know. They, they try to get you up and moving as soon as possible because it's better for How? your body to move. I know. I'm like, wait, shouldn't I be laying here for like months? Right. <laughs> but shouldn't, like, we give, shouldn't we give this leg a minute? They've been through like, a please. lot. <laughs> it's, it's had some work done. Right. Exactly. <laughs> No, but the, the day, um, the day after surgery, they had me up moving around on crutches. Um, and I, I mean, I was, I was a pro on crutches cause I'd been through so many surgeries that, uh, I felt pretty stable on them. So yeah, they get you up and moving right away. And with how my house is built, um, I was in the hospital for three days, which again, doesn't seem like enough time. Does not, does not seem win. like enough time. My grandfather actually had brain surgery, um, oh. in January of 2019. Oh, um, yeah. he did eventually die of brain cancer, um, oh, man, for, about 14 months after that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but he had one surgery in January of 2019 and he was in the hospital for less than three days. And I was oh, like, we have literally cut his brain open 
and why he is in his home? 80s right like why what are we how is this supposed to work so yeah there's something about hospitals they kick you out i guess they say that I it's know. not so good for you to be there it's not because it's yeah. a weird place but, infections and just all right. kinds of stuff that and can just happen. like messing with your time clock but yeah so I, I, honestly three days to me feels right just because i know that's yeah. what they do after break that makes perfect sense they kick yeah. you out i i remember my my doctor my doctor was he was great also sort of just a bit of an odd person in, in a good way. I, I liked him a lot, but I remember him being like, yeah, I mean, technically you could go home the same day. It's just not recommended. And I was like, you're not sending me home the same day. Also that never really happened. So I think he was just, right. I don't know. I think he was just talking. Um, but yeah. So then when I, when I got home um, because of how my house is built, it's not wheelchair accessible at all. So I was just all on crutches and the first two weeks were definitely the like hardcore recovery doing nothing but recovering. Um, and then, and then after that, I got the cast off cause they had a cast to kind of stabilize it and, and make sure that you weren't going to, you know, hurt it or anything like that. And then after that is when kind of the, okay, how do I return to whatever normal life looks like now began. It only takes two weeks for an, for an amputation to heal. You realistically, you get fit for a prosthetic leg at, if everything goes perfectly and smoothly, six to eight weeks after amputation. So that's when kind of the wound is healed enough that you can start putting some pressure and getting fit just means that, you know, you're starting to play around with it. You're starting to see what feels good and what doesn't. It's a long process until you're like good. Right. right. But uh, the two weeks are when stitches are still in. And then there's sort of this, this zone from week two to week six or seven where you're you don't have a leg and you don't have a prosthetic and you just kind of figure out what to do and you're still very much in recovery you know your body's still adjusting so what did you do during that time crutches so I did a lot um I started a I when I began trying to make the decision to have an amputation or not um I recorded videos sort of of my thought process because I knew that that was going to be helpful for me but in the back of my mind I was also like well Maybe if anyone is ever in a similar situation, this could be helpful if I decide to publish them. Um, I really didn't think anyone ever would be. Come to find out a lot of people are in a similar position. Um, so I decided to publish those videos, I think the day before, maybe a couple of days before my amputation. And then I started, it was, it was helpful to me, right? It was helpful to me to make videos about the process. It helped me clarify things, trying to make words and stories make sense to other people, made them make more sense to me. And so as I went through surgery, I kept doing that. I kept making videos about being in the hospital and coming home and, and all of that. And so in the weeks in between, um, I did a lot of that and pu- published those on YouTube and kind of started growing a, a small little audience before things um, really took off down the road. And it was a great, it was a great distraction. It was a great way to instead be like, um, instead of just being like phantom pain is terrible. It is the worst. And I feel like I'm losing my mind, uh, to, to, to feel that, to acknowledge that. And then also be like, and let me talk about what this is like for people who might not understand, or for people who might be going through this, uh, kind of channel into something that was more beneficial for me to get my head around. Right. Can you explain a little bit more about phantom pain for someone who might not be familiar Absolutely. With it? it is it is fascinating to me as someone who experiences it and it's fascinating. It was fascinating to me before. So phantom pain um is basically where amputees uh, oftentimes not all of us but many of us feel our missing limbs. Um from the moment I woke up from surgery, I've felt my toes and my ankle that were removed. I still feel them as I'm talking to you right now, which is weird. The reason for that is because your brain basically is born with a map of your body. And when a limb is chopped off, uh, that map doesn't get modified as well. So your body is still trying to send signals to something that doesn't exist anymore. So sometimes you'll get phantom sensation, which is like feeling your toes. Sometimes you'll get an itch, which is the worst because there's no really effective way to fix it. 
Um, but then you'll get Phantom Pain as well, which is where you'll feel surprisingly specific uh, feelings where your limb used to be. Uh, I got a lot of electrical shocks. It felt very specifically like someone was taking a cattle prod and placing it between like my pinky toe and the toe right next to it. Um, just really painful electric shocks. I also felt like someone was kind of like slicing the outside of my ankle. And it's not like generalized pain. It's just, it's, it's very specific. Like I could point to you uh, on another foot and be like, this is exactly where I'm feeling it. Our bodies are incredible. Um, and so for some people it's terrible. Uh, for most people it gets under control. Some people don't have it at all but I definitely got it really badly in the weeks after surgery, did a lot of mirror therapy, which is a, a form of kind of treating phantom pain where you're tricking your brain into thinking your leg is still there essentially. And I got to kind of a manageable point, but I still have that every day. I get a lot of uh, electric shocks, but they don't last too long. So if you're around me long enough, you'll see me kind of like jump and then, then be good again. And then be fine. When, so with the mirror therapy, you're essentially, is it, are these sensations happening because your brain is freaking out because it can't, because it can't figure out where the foot went. And then with I've, the mirror, you kind of trick it. <laughs> I've, I've never quite found like a totally comprehensive definition that made sense to me as not a science person uh, of what phantom pain actually is. But, but that's not a bad way of describing it. Your, your brain is still sending signals of something that doesn't exist. And so you get wacky feelings and sensations out of it. Yeah, that is wild. I cannot it's, even wrap It's my... weird. It's so weird. <laughs> yeah, I can't even wrap my head my head around that and the fact that yeah. you can't wrap your head around it as someone who yeah experiences it <laughs> may, yeah wow so so you have this um so you get fitted for your prosthetic um, yeah. which I presume takes a little bit of time to adjust to um, yeah. and to figure out how you're gonna you know walk around with it and figure out how your life is gonna be like with it how long does it take to get it right like how many fittings do you need how long does it take yeah. to make one of those things actually work that's a really good question. Again, that's something that's going to be different for everybody. Um, right before, uh, literally it was the day before or two days before, it was two days before my like prosthetics appointment to get fit. I had a bad fall in a restaurant where I fell like directly on my limb, which was horrible and very painful. Um, and they, they thought it ended up causing a lot of issues, long story short. So I did get fit for a prosthetic. I started trying to kind of figure it out, figure out how to use it, but it became apparent pretty quickly that something was wrong. Um, and so I probably had three weeks of trying to make a prosthetic leg work before I was like, this is, this is beyond the normal scope of like discomfort and maybe some adjustment pain. And I ended up having to have another surgery a few uh, months after that to kind of fix some things and that still didn't work. So in August of the next year, um, they had to uh, amputate more of my leg because so much had gone wrong. So I didn't actually start walking with a prosthetic leg until like December of 2019 or yeah, 2019. So like a year and a few months after my first amputation. Um, so it was, it was quite, it was quite a long process, um, unexpected to actually get to the point where I could move well, but when you actually have a prosthetic fit that works, it definitely takes a couple, you know, weeks or months to learn how to work well, but you're going to be going in for fittings quite often, like every couple weeks, once a month for at least the first couple years of your amputation, because your limb continues to shrink and change size. And so they have to kind of constantly refit it make sure that it's that it's working exactly with how your leg is now exactly so, so you had so you had like a year or so where you just didn't have a prosthetic and we're and we're trying to figure it out and do, yeah. were you just hanging around on crutches during that time 
Yes. So I was on crutches. I was also on kind of a walking crutch where you're kind of walking on your knee um, called an eye walk, which worked well, isn't great for your body to be on long-term, but it worked well enough. Um, yeah. So it was, it was about a year of sort of just a dead zone of not being able to right. um, even try to learn to walk. Right. To figure it out. So this was all somewhat recently ago, you know, December, 2019. Yes. So like a year and a half ago ish somewhere yeah. now. Um, what was COVID like for you? Were you oh, like, are, are, what, what was that? Like, I mean, if, if you are getting your prosthetic first in December of 2019 and then yeah. four months later, everything <laughs> shuts down, like the world is closed. I can only imagine that how that must've been when once you had finally gotten back on your feet to <laughs> so soon i'm sure as you're getting into a group of things have things go away yeah you know, what what was all of that like so a lot of the things that i'm really interested in when it comes to using my leg uh was really just like being able to get about daily life with less pain and like take my dogs for a walk or go hiking because i live in colorado and we've got incredible hiking you know just outside basically and so there was a lot that i could still do um thankfully and there was a lot of like working out at home and, and just moving my body that I'm so grateful to be able to do because it was it's been such a long time since I've really been able to do that and so it's honestly I don't think that COVID affected me in a lot of ways as it affected literally everybody but I think as it pertains specifically to my my leg and my prosthetic there wasn't a lot that it really slowed down like I, I got a running blade um during that time and started to learn to run but it was outside you know not around other people so it was something that I, I could still do and now that we're kind of getting back to um, here anyways, a lot of people are vaccinated, things are opening back up so I can like do things with other people now more, which is great, but uh, it didn't have that much of an impact on my recovery, which I'm very grateful for. Right. Why do, why is a running, like, why do you need a running blade as opposed to just running on your regular prosthetic? Yeah, right. Um, you shouldn't, in my in my opinion. Someday they'll come up with something that's a little bit uh, easier and less expensive. But the reason why you need a running blade is, is every prosthetic foot ankle is made differently. And there are a lot of them out there. During my first prosthetics fitting, um, my prosthetist at the time, the first question he asked me is, do you want to wear high heels or do you want to be able to go hiking? It wasn't a both, it was an or. Um, and I was like, well, I did this to get more active. So high heels are cool. I'd really like to be able to wear them one day because I never could, but uh, I definitely want to be able to go hiking. So he's like, okay, that's what we're going to do. So the leg that I have for um, my everyday use, the one that insurance will pay for, because it will only pay for one every three years is, it's fixed. Um, so my ankle, you can't really adjust the height of it. So you can't like wear, you know, high heels or boots or things like that. And it's also uh, the way it's built. It's really good for walking um, on flat surfaces, walking on some rocky surfaces, but the, the energy that you need to be able to run, it's called energy return. So when you take a step and you kind of push off, you know, if you're running, you push off, I can't control my ankle. So I can't do that. So that has to be made up with by engineering. Um, and you can't do that unless there is a significant, you know, blade to allow that that spring to kind of push you forward. And there's a lot of complications that come along with that. That you you can't walk on a running blade for everyday life because it's actually built to be an inch higher, so it pushes your your hip up an inch, so that when you're running, your hips are level because it's it, the pressure is pushing the running blade down. So you need different legs for different activities. But one of the problems with that is insurance will only pay for one. So you have to rely on grant programs or other people, or if you just happen to be independently wealthy and have, you know, 10 grand you can spend to be able to run again. That's fantastic. That's not me. <laughs> right. That's not most people do. Does a prosthetic exactly. cost around 10 grand? 
Uh, it really depends. The one I have uh, right now was about 20 for like general, like walking. Um, and then you got to add on the the cost of like the fitting and, and all of that. And there's different stuff that goes into that. Right. But to get a running blade, yeah, it can be anywhere from like five to 15 for a below knee amputee like I am. Oh, and oh does it get more expensive if you have more amputated? That kind of makes oh, sense. Oh, yes. it would way more because then you need a computerized knee um a knee that will kind of uh, bend with your body as you're walking and that gets it gets way more expensive got uh, it so coming. so you're in like the bargain basement amputation <laughs> situation wow i never even considered that right so one of so i stumbled upon you on the internet yeah, um, which, which is, is crazy. Lo- which is a lovely place um and one of the things that struck me about about the way that you about you know I found your YouTube videos and then of course I go and I find you on Instagram and I'm like who is this girl and what is she doing (laughs) and what I what struck me so much was the very um kind of no nonsense way that like usually your videos start with how does an amputee fill in the blank (laughs) and then it's you know how do I put on my leg what do I do in in case of an emergency why don't you just crawl to the bathroom in the middle of the night like all of those things um that you just don't think about you don't think about when you know if you happen to see someone who is an amputee you don't think about doing all of these things um why was it important to you to educate people on what it means to be an amputee oh okay Good question. I don't think that I started off with that intention. It's definitely morphed into that, right? But I started off just being like, this is interesting to me because I'm learning it and I didn't know. So it should be interesting to other people. And as I've gone through this process, I've realized a lot of the things that I've thought. Uh, I've realized a lot of things that I've thought about people with amputations or seeing amputees. I know what I've thought as a person who is now an amputee, who spent the majority of my life not being one. And a lot of the misconceptions, a lot of the stereotypes, a lot of the genuine discomfort being like, oh, I don't know, um, should I, I don't wanna say the wrong thing. I don't, you know, um, maybe, I'm not supposed to stare, but this is really cool looking, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> and I think realizing that um, I was learning a lot and that if I hadn't lost my leg, I never would have learned those things. And I would have thought of amputees as like different um, was a lot of motivation to kind of just share information. And and it's interesting. Um, having a prosthetic leg and being an amputee is something that people are have a lot of questions about and are very curious about. And I love being able to answer those questions because when questions don't get answered, that's when kind of that discomfort grows. You know, when, when a kid sees me and their mom uh, is like, don't ask questions, don't stare. Like you're just cementing in that kid's head that uh, if someone looks different, they are different. You can't ask questions, it's bad. And being able to like, oh, okay, that's what that is. Oh, okay, um, that's what phantom pain is. Or this is how a prosthetic leg works kind of lowers that, that weirdness that some people feel, which I think is um, really important. But also being able to talk about this stuff enables me, I think, to talk about stuff that I care about, um, perhaps even more things like mental health and getting through hard things and uh, reconciling our emotions and acknowledging them. And so I almost use it as a, as a medium along with educating people about it to also talk about things that um, tie right in that, that really matter to me that apply to literally anybody. Yeah. The one of, one of your videos that struck me and actually when I was um, 
my mom is super interested in the podcast. So every now and then she'll be like, who are you having on? So I was telling her about you and um, <laughs> yeah, she's, she's a big fan. Um, but I, I was telling her about you and, and the video that I told her about first and the one that has really stuck with me the most is that um, you did a video where you showed how long it takes you to, um, to put on your leg um, and specifically around going to the bathroom in the yeah. middle of the night. Um, and then somebody asked you yes. why you bother putting on your leg in the middle of the night. And I'd love if you yeah. could share that answer. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So a lot of people have asked me, um, I'll make short little videos kind of answering quick questions. Right. A lot of people ask me, well, why don't you just like crawl to the bathroom in the middle of the night? Right. Or, or something like that, which, um, is a genuine question, but to me, that's really, some people will do that, but to me, it's really, it feels dehumanizing to have to crawl, especially on our floor where we have three dogs and a cat uh, and we live in Colorado. And so it's, it's pretty, yeah, I'd, I'd rather not. Um, but hopping, which is the other option, um, it, hopping is really easy to do because I'm, I'm a young person. I'm fairly athletic. Like it feels fine to do right, but it's going to kill your joints over time. Like my remaining ankle joint and my remaining knee joint are going to hate me in five to 10 years if I just hop everywhere. Um, so it's important to actually put on your leg or use crutches or, or something along those lines. Right. And it, and it was that point that you said that, you know, that was just about, well, I don't, I don't want to crawl. I'm a person and yeah, exactly. And, right. And I don't, I don't want to get, get on the floor <laughs> and that makes perfect sense that that yeah. really does you mentioned before how the amputation allowed you to enjoy your existence in a yes. way that you couldn't <laughs> beforehand um what does it mean to you now to be able to you know enjoy your existence what is what does that look like in your life and things yeah like that? I that's a that's a really good question I think for me being able to move my body for the sake of moving it for the sake of like this is really cool like I have a body and I can do things like uh, go for a walk, walk my dogs, experience nature, get on a bike, uh, go horseback riding, try out a ninja gym. Like I just, I feel so alive being able to do those things. And it's, it was interesting to me because I was restricted from doing so many things for so many times for, for such a long time that I think there was a part of me and maybe other people that assumed that like when I was able to go back and, and do those things again, it would be like the super emotional experience. Like, oh my God, I've waited so long. And there have definitely been moments of that. But honestly, more than anything, it just feels right and normal. Like when I'm able to do things that I've always wanted to do that were always difficult and they're easy, I'm just like, okay, good. You know, it's like, okay, that's what I was looking for. Awesome. You know, it's, it's right. I, I almost expected it to be this big, you know, deep emotional experience. And again, there have been moments of that, but it's, um, it's mostly, it just feels normal. And uh, a lot of the the obstacle is taken away. Now there are a lot of obstacles that are added because life with a metal body part um, that's always kind of shifting and changing and has pieces that break and is very unpredictable and also has an effect on your body. Um, you know, if I go for a long walk, chances are um, other parts of my body are going to hurt because it's not, you know, it's not perfect, right? Prosthetic limbs are not perfect. Um, it's, there's, there's a lot of adjustment, but at the end of the day, this is something that I got to choose. And not only that, but I've, I've kind of continued to choose and be like, no, I'm going to embrace this. I'm going to make it mine. I'm going to do everything that I can. I think it's been very helpful, um, to sort of take ownership of it and figure out what I really want my life to look like and then go after that. And, and take it from there. You do a lot of, um, you, you do a lot of public speaking and you, yeah. and you, and you share your story and you, and, and you, and you have, you know, conversations like these, um, yeah. you know, letting people know more about what it's like to be you and, you know, especially going from someone who is active and, you know, had this injury and then still continues to be active 
in, yeah. you know, in your life. What are you, what do you hope to accomplish with, you know, the speaking that you do and, and, and the talks that you give and, and spreading your message? Yeah. Uh, good question as well. For me, I've gone through, you know, a variety of difficult things in my life as we all have and losing a limb doesn't rank in the top three. I think for most people, if they you know, see someone who's missing a limb or with some physical difference or disability, there's often this assumption that like, that's the thing, right? That is the thing that someone's had to go through and like, wow, how cool they've gotten through it or like, wow, that must be difficult. But for me, this has been um, quite a journey. It has definitely been challenging. It has definitely been hard, but it's, it's, there's so much more to getting through life and so many more things that have happened through trauma and mental health issues that have challenged me so much more. And I found that the one thing that was almost deadly through anything that I've gone through is feeling like I was alone or different or weird uh, or abnormal um, and primarily alone. Uh, I spent a lot of years feeling like I was alone, even with people around me, because I didn't have words for what I was experiencing, what I was feeling. I think the same thing can be said about going through anything difficult, it's very important for me to share a message of you're not alone, you're not weird, you're not different. It's gonna be okay. Like there is a light at the end of the tunnel. You don't know what that looks like right now. It sucks right now. It's okay to say that it's awful and you don't know how to get through it, but you're not alone when you're here. That's what's really important for me to say. I, I was kind of taught through a lot of my life to suppress emotions and pretend like everything was okay and just put on a good face. And that led to me being, um, feeling like nobody could understand and like I was the only person feeling it and just not wanting to be here anymore. And having gone through so many years of deconstructing that and realizing it's okay to be a person. It's okay to have emotions and feel sad and angry and overwhelmed and express that. And people are still going to be there um, and, and talk about that and bring words and connection to people who may not have those yet. Um, as some people did for me when I was in those moments, that's, that's what's really important to me and to not mask what we're going through, but to be real about, you know, grief or trauma or pain, and then also find a way through it together. Yeah. I, I think that you do a great job of, of getting that out into the world. If somebody wants to uh, learn more about you, Joe, where can they go? Absolutely. So you could go to my website, which is footlessjoe.com. Not footloose, footless <laughs> as in missing a foot. Less, less one foot, down less a foot. Minus one foot, deduct yes. one foot. <laughs> exactly. And then you have it. By the way, best name ever. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it kind of just, it just came to be. I don't even remember how, I think probably someone suggested or I just came up with it, but it, but it fits. Yeah, um, but also good. you can find me on pretty much any social media platform under Footless Joe. That is awesome. The last thing that I want to ask you, oh, and I'm going to link all of that um, in the show notes as well. So if you want to check that out, you can. Um, and I am going to link your YouTube channel because it's freaking fantastic. Thank and you. I had a great time, like when I first found it and also in preparation for this interview, going through all of your videos. There's one on shaving that I was yes. not, that one blew. Okay, you have to, we have to take a minute to do this. Absolutely, you, please. You are not allowed to shave the, the what is left of your leg. Yeah, which is which weird. is bizarre. Which is <laughs> so, weird. There's a there's a medical reason for that, as I as I always tell people. You technically can, right? Like I could shave my leg, but the problem is because I, I wear a prosthetic. Um, and because my leg is encased in this liner uh, that allows my leg to stick to me, it's basically in a warm, mo moist when environment. When you say allows your leg long. to stick to you, you mean your prosthetic leg? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Okay. That's a just, weird sentence. Just to <laughs> clarify, it this, 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 seem normal, this liner but for like my art. leg allows my leg to stick to me. <laughs> so this liner on your on the re leg that is attached to the rest to you allows yes. uh, the leg that sometimes you take off <laughs> to, uh, to attach to you. 
100%. Yes. Um, and if you, you know, if you shave your legs, sometimes you get like shaving bumps, sometimes you get ingrown hairs, things like that. Sometimes you get tiny little nicks, which is not a big deal uh, if your skin is open to the air all day. But when it's encased in something, uh, that becomes a huge risk for infections, for issues. If you get an ingrown hair, you might not be able to wear your leg for like, you know, days on end so it has real ramifications i do Wait, know some because it would make still... a bump because the bump would make the liner not fit it, it would make it painful it can make it very painful wow. and then that can lead to um complications like infections or like it getting worse um and you don't you, your your skin is already sort of at risk all the time because it's covered up most of the day in a like thick silicone liner, which again, doesn't breathe and your skin is kind of meant to feel the air. Uh, so it's already kind of compromised. And when you add, you know, a little Nick or an ingrown hair or something like that, it can get badly pretty quickly. So you cannot shave your leg, which- Yeah, I, exactly. Just check out the YouTube channel, everyone. There's so, <laughs> there's so many fascinating things there that you just wouldn't think of and that you just don't consider when, uh, when it comes to that. All of that is in the show notes um, and you can swipe up on the cover art to get to it. Uh, the last thing that I want to ask you, Joe, is what I ask everyone who comes on the show. And that is to you, Joe Beckwith, what does it mean to make an impact? <laughs> I, love, I love that that's one of the questions that you ask everybody. I think it's probably going to sound redundant with what I've already said, but I think- um, Making an impact to me means helping people feel connected to other people, like they belong on the planet, like they have a place and like there is some kind of purpose that they can find or build for themselves and that they aren't alone. Um, people who have done that for me have made the biggest impact in my life and I want to be a part of that for other people as well. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on today, Joe. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Joe, her links are in the show notes. Check out her YouTube channel. It's fantastic. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of impact fashion, the clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 11 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant dash parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses, original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Eskowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.